0: Well, you know, as we begin this uh, new series on the Small Catechism and uh, on uh, Luther's explanation of the Articles of the Creed, uh, we have up on the screen there. I realize it's small print for some of us, but uh, there it is. As uh, the Creed begins, it says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Luther asks the question, What does this mean? And he begins by saying a very simple but profound statement, I believe that God has made me and all creatures. Okay. Right there. Well, as we begin this series, you know, I think it's very important for us to review what does it mean to say, I believe. All right? What does that mean? Sometimes we just take it for granted, you know, I believe. All right? Well, I want to focus on what does it mean to believe in God? What does it mean when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty? You know, I have encountered people over my many years of ministry who claim to believe in God. Really? Yes. But the God they claim to believe in makes very little difference in the way they live, how they conduct the affairs of their life, and how they raise their children. Really doesn't seem to make any difference. Oh, but I believe in God. Yes. My question is, what kind of God do you believe in? I really think that Americans are in love. I mean, I think we are just in love with the God of convenience. You know what the God of convenience is? When all of a sudden there's a tragedy, when all of a sudden you get the phone call that you never wanted to get, all of a sudden something happens and the rug is pulled out, oh my God, where are God, God, and you go and you come to church and you pray and you're fervently, oh, I'm turning my life back over to God. You know, crises can't do that. But I've been around the block long enough to know, you know what that usually is? The God who is conveniently there when we want Him, and the God we can dismiss when the storm of our life is over. Have you known people like that? I've met a lot. I give them a call. I said, "Hey, you know what happened?" They were healed. They were coming to church, and all of a sudden they're going, "Well, pastor, you know how it goes." And you know what I say on the phone? No, I don't know how it goes. I don't. I would think you'd be so thankful. Oh, well, you know, busyness and this and that in my life. Oh, yeah. That's the God of convenience. Then then we come to another one Americans love this kind of God. Oh, listen. This is like the Pillsbury Doughboy kind of God, okay? He is the grandfather God. I mean, everybody loves Grandpa. He looks like Colonel Sanders. And he just pats you on the head, you know, and says, oh, everything's going to be fine. He gives you a 20, uh, winks at you. And you know the best thing of all? (laughs) He turns a blind eye on all the naughty things we do. It's going to be okay. Oh, we love that God, don't we? We just love that kind of God. Grandfather God. Uh, But then there's a number of us who have a different image of God. The complete opposite of the grandfatherly type of God. This God, oh, He is like the kind of God that you would never want to have as your dad. Just wait until your father gets home. He is a capricious and demanding God. He requires that we appease Him and please Him on every account. And if we fail once, oh, the belt, the punishments. And you know what? He's going to take it out on not only me, but my loved ones. That's why you got sick. You know, that's why she died. Because of what you did. For those who have a God like this, they can never do enough. And that is exactly the kind of God that a young monk called Martin Luther had. Until one incredible day, he discovered in the Scriptures the God of mercy and grace in the person of Jesus Christ. And when he made that discovery, it changed the world. Changed the world. The Christian faith does not believe in a God of convenience, does not have the image of a grandfatherly type God, nor this wrathful, wrathful parent who's up there just extracting pound for pound of our flesh. Not at all. The Christian faith is anchored in two things. In the creation of the universe by the Word of God And in the incarnation, death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, the Word made flesh. Our God created all things, He sustains all things, and He has redeemed the human race from darkness and death in His own Son, and gives us everything we need in this life to follow Him. Very early in the life of the church, creeds were formulated. You know, if any of you have come from a non creedal church, you, you come to a Lutheran or Catholic church especially, you know, we're always reciting what? The creed. All right? And they, well, I just have the Bible. I don't need the creed. That's ridiculous. First of all, for 1,500 years of the church's life, think about that 1,500 years, in your home, would you have had a whole Bible? Absolutely not. you know what the, how the Bible? No. The Bible was made in scrolls until Wittenberg invented the press. You couldn't have a Bible. If a church had a Bible, it was, you know, sometimes we've heard this, oh, the, the Bible was chained to the church. Well, of course it was. It was a valuable book, <laughs> you know, on the black market. You get a lot of money for it. What the church fathers did, what the teachers of the church did, is they took biblical doctrines and they condensed it into these concise statements of biblical truth to teach the people what is necessary for salvation. And the Apostles' Creed is formulated around the three persons of the Holy Trinity, which comes from the end of Matthew's gospel, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them what? In the name of the Father... The Son and the Holy Spirit, okay? So the creed actually is found in those, that, that baptismal formula, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The first article of the creed is about creation. The second article is about our redemption in Jesus. And the third article is about our sanctification, what it means to be a holy person that has give, been given the Holy Spirit. This series is going to be looking at each one of these sections. But today, what does it mean to say credo in the Latin? I believe. The creed is the language of the Christian faith. The creed is the language of faith. It is not a series of propositions or opinions about God. You know, you can, eh, you know, I don't like that one, but I'll dismiss that, but I like this. Uh uh-uh. It is a concise expression. Of absolute biblical truth in who God is, what He has done, and what He continues to do in our lives and in this world. Creeds, by their very nature, are easily memorized. I mean, Luther says, you know, this is what the head of the house should teach his family. He says the Apostles' Creed should be recited every morning. It's easily memorized, and the creed can be prayed. It it, it forms a structure for our prayers, even as the Our Father does, that Jesus gave to us. The creed, therefore, and the Holy Scriptures, when, when the Scriptures and the creed says, I believe, all right, that is to be understood not as just head knowledge. Okay, I got the facts down, you know. I went through confirmation class. <laughs> I memorized everything I had to. I got it all here. That's not what faith is at all, brothers and sisters. It is not mere knowledge and facts about God. I mean, I believe the sun is going to rise tomorrow even if it's cloudy. Do you? Okay. Why? You know, it hasn't happened. I've never been to Paris, France, but I believe it exists. I mean, maybe fake news is telling me that there is. Maybe it's fake. No, I've never been there. But I believe it exists. That's the way a lot of people think about God. I, I believe in God. He exists. That's not what the Scriptures mean by I believe. To confess I believe in God is the profound assurance of who God is And what he has done for me. The Apostle Paul in that first reading that I read from Romans, he puts it like this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The heart in biblical understanding is the very essence of who you are, what makes you. It's your guts. It what really motivates you. It's not about just head knowledge that sometimes means nothing. It's the heart of who you are. But you know what? Part of faith, Paul says is if you confess with what? Your mouth Confession of Jesus means the people around you, the people you know and meet, they know that you are what? A Christian. You're not hiding it under a bushel. You confess it because you see, then people will know that I'm a Christian. And that's where some of us have a problem. Oh, yeah, I don't want to look like a goody (laughs) two-shoes. You know, I don't want to be, like, fingered. You know, I don't want people, oh, see, that's not what, Paul, what does Paul say? If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. This type of faith, brothers and sisters, colors the Christian's life. You know, did you, I didn't realize this, but coloring books are making a comeback. Adults are coloring. My wife, I think she is, okay. Um, I thought, what a beautiful analogy though. Because you know, what, you know what coloring books do? I mean, you go through them, you, put, you, you color all this. Our entire life, the entire journey of our life, think about it as a coloring book. And you're born, and you're baptized, and you go to school, and you go to high school, and some of us go to college, okay? And you get a career, and the, all, of these are, all of these are pages that you're coloring. All of this is about who you are and what's going on in your life. And then, you know, if, 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 it's, if it happens, you, you get married, and, and then maybe you're blessed with children, and that becomes other pages, and, and then your children leave, and that becomes more pages, and then you become grandparents, and you can spoil them. That's another great page. And then your spouse dies, and that's another page. And then you know you're near the end, and that's the final coloring page. But that's the book of our lives because the Lord Jesus is there. Never will I leave you, he says. Never will I forsake you. That's the kind of faith that sustains us. That's the kind of faith that makes us alive. That's not a convenient God. That's a God who never leaves, who's always there. For the Christian to profess, I believe in God, is the recognition, the personal recognition of the authority of Jesus Christ in my life. That He truly loves me no matter what I've done and no matter how far I've gone. That He really does forgive me of my sins and He invites me to come to Him. Remember those beautiful words of Jesus? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Oh yes, Jesus, we need that. That's your gift to us. That's what it means to say, I believe. And Dr. Luther, in the first article of the Creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Listen to how he explains this in light of what I've just shared. Luther says, I believe that God has made me and all creatures... He has given me my body and soul, eyes and ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, spouse and children, lands, animal, and all I have. Everything you have, the skin on your body, the heart that is beating, the eyes that are seeing now, the ears that are hearing, all of the wonderful senses that God has given to us in our bodies. Like when I go out and we were out in Wyoming and Colorado, and you just look at the vistas and you just see that you see a beautiful sunrise here, or a beautiful sunset, and you just stand in awe of God and His creation. All of that, brothers and sisters, that's all gift to me, gift to you. The shoes on my feet, the clothes on my back. my family and my friends, this wonderful church, all of it is gift from the Father. All of it. Luther goes on, he says, He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. Your job is a gift. Your income is a gift. Your retirement income is a gift. Everything you have is gift. Everything. Everything. He guards and defends me against all danger and protects me from all evil. Wait a minute, Luther. I've had tragedy. I know Christians who have been in terrible loss. What do you mean he defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil? Does that mean that a Christian, if you're really truly in faith, as some idiotic preachers out there say, that, oh no, if you're a Christian, nothing's going to bad befall you? That is a total downright lie but what isn't a lie is when the Lord says I will never leave you or forsake you think of that great psalm of David "Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death could also be translated the, sh- the shadows or the valleys of darkness thou art with me what did Jesus say don't fear those who can kill the body but not the soul Things can happen to us in this life, but the Lord has promised to always be there and sustain us, and sometimes in the darkest hours is when we find the greatest comfort of His presence. That's what He means when He defends me. I am in Him, and come what may, I know that He's with me. Luther concludes with these words. All this He does out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. It's not because of who I am or what I've done. It's because of who he is and what he has done. He's a loving father. He's not the father who, if you come back, has folded arms and said, (laughs) yeah, all right, you're going to get your comeuppance. Oh, no. He is the Father that when He sees you repenting, when He sees you coming back, He runs to greet you and He enwraps you in His arms because He is a Father full of mercy and compassion. That's why Luther concludes with this. For all this, it is my duty to thank and praise Serve and obey Him. My entire life then, seen as a gift, what I want to do is live for Him. That's why Pastor Melkie, when we are summoned to celebrate the holy sacrifice of Christ in the supper, he says, the Lord be with you. and And then he says, lift up your hearts. And what do we say? We lift them up to the Lord. Because you know what, Lord? This is who we are. You know, the offerings we have just given you, the bread and wine we have just set on this table, this is our lives. We want to live for you. Take us. Because we love you, and we can never outgive you. And we want to serve this week for you. There's a great story. It comes from the 19th century. The man's name is Charles Blondin. He was a famous French tightrope walker. His greatest feat that he is recorded for in history is on September 14th, 1860, and this is in the Akron uh, Beacon Journal in Ohio. He became the first person to cross a tightrope stretched 11,000 feet, almost a quarter of a mile, across the mighty Niagara Falls. People came from hundreds of miles to see this feat, both from Canada and America. He walked 160 feet above the falls several times. Each time he did daring feats. One of the feats that he did is he pushed a wheelbarrow with a sack of potatoes across the falls. The crowds were just absolutely in hysteria. They were ooing and aahing. And according to the paper reports, their cheers were so loud that you could not hear the thunderous roar of the mighty Niagara Falls. When, Char- when, when he finally got to the other side, he quieted the crowd down. He says, okay, now I'm going to ask for a volunteer. He said, do you believe... That I can push a person in this wheelbarrow across the falls. Oh, yes, we believe it. We believe it. You can do it. And they work. Oh, yes. He says, okay, who's going to get in? Talk is cheap. I believe in God. Oh, that's so convenient. That's comfortable. That doesn't even require sacrifice, does it? Why, you can say it here and none of your friends have to know that in school. Nobody in the neighborhood has to know it. I mean, I believe in God. That's easy. It's another thing when you place your life into the hands of God and thinking of it as a wheelbarrow, carrying you from birth to death, putting your life into the hands of this loving God, whose hands and arms were stretched out on a cross to invite you to come to him and to find in Jesus what really matters in life, what true life really is. Pastor Melky concluded his beautiful homily last week with this quotation. Read it with me Do we believe in God or not? Are we on fire with a love for Jesus Christ or not? Because if we're not, none of our good intentions matter. And if we are, then everything we need in doing God's work will naturally follow because He never abandons His people. That's exactly what Martin Luther says in this explanation of the first article. We have everything everything we need to follow Him by faith. Everything. My brothers and sisters, may that be our faith. Not just a faith of good intentions. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.